All right. Everyone doing good? Yeah. Good. Hey, a clean stage. Tribulation must be over. Hey, we're he- <laughs> we are heading into the very end of the age. We're heading into the end of Revelation. And we're heading into the end of the fall study. We've got tonight and we've got next week. And then the week after that's uh, Christmas Eve. So that's going to be pretty incredible. So um, just a, a warning, a shout out there. Um, next week, there is no kaboom. There is no kaboom, um, but the mine is still happening. So we'd love to have you here um, next week. Next week is, is a cool week because we're going to spend um, the entire session talking about heaven and hell and, and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So tonight, we're actually going to move on through and, and uh, clip off um, chapter 19 and chapter 20. And we will also look back into Matthew as well. So let's go ahead and start in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity um, to be here. We thank you for um, who you are. Heavenly Father, I just pray that um, you be with us tonight. Um, clear our minds um, and allow us to focus in on exactly what you would have us learn. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Um, Long time ago, we gave you one of these. Um, we were at the very end of that timeline. You could still grab one of these if you don't have one. We have some up front here, but we are actually um, progressing a little bit beyond that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 19. And last week, we talked about um, some, fun, some fun stuff. Um, basically, Babylon's doom, um, the end of Babylon. And, and we actually um, read into, just because I couldn't resist, um, the hallelujah moments are so fun. Um, we read into a little bit to chapter 19, but just to keep it in context, we'll go back and read through. So let's start at chapter 19, and we'll look at verse um, 1. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for, tr- for true and just are his judgments, He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. By the way, when we're talking about Hallelujah, that's me and you. So we're actually reading our own words. Is that, that pretty cool? So... Um, We're part of that whole hallelujah thing. Um, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added... These are the true words of God. So let's stop right there because seven, um, verse 7 all the way up actually through verse 10 talks about um, the marriage supper or the wedding supper of the Lamb. Okay, Now the wedding supper of the Lamb, we will see this in these three or four verses here and we also see it referenced in Matthew 24. Okay, So the marriage supper of the Lamb happens at the very 
end of the tribulation. Okay? Who is the bridegroom? The bridegroom. Jesus. And who is the bride? The church. Okay, so we got the bridegroom and the the church. And this was um, talking about a three-step process that happened back in these days. The first step was a contract and a dowry to be paid. So the father would sign a contract and pay a dowry purchasing the bride. Now, who's the bride? The church. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus paid our debt, our dowry, with his blood. Okay? So Jesus bought us, saved us, redeemed us. And so we have gone through the first step of this process. The church, those who believe and have asked Jesus as our Lord and Savior, have already gone through the first part of this wedding ceremony. The second part was a pretty cool part, and it typically was about a year later. So right now, we're doing the whole carol series, and, we, and, and Lynn talked about last week, um, Joseph, a man of faith. And again, um, there aren't few men in the Bible that had more faith um, than Joseph. And, and again, <laughs> imagining raising the Lord, it's just incredible. Imagine having a, a parental fight in front of Jesus, and you're actually asking him to mediate for you. And so, and so that whole idea of when uh, Mary... Um, became pregnant happened during that year betrothal spot okay joseph and his family already paid the dowry already signed the contract and so joseph and mary were in that year when this whole thing happened at the end of the year the groom and all of his friends would march through the streets holding torches and would head to the house and pick up the bride that part has not happened yet for the church. Okay, We have not been retrieved um, by our bridegroom. And then finally, the actual supper, which was the marriage, which could last for days. The wedding in Cana was an example of something that can last for days. Okay, When I, when I do weddings, they are 14 minutes and 30 seconds on average, <laughs> as far as my part goes. And I can't imagine doing a wedding ceremony for weeks on end. Um, but that's what would happen. So the marriage supper happens at the end of the tribulation. Okay, so we've got the contract, which for believers has already happened. We will have the retrieval, which will happen at the beginning of the tribulation. And we will have the actual marriage ceremony, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that happens at the end. Okay, everybody follow me on that one? All right, so verse 10. At this... I fell at his feet to worship him. And, and who is the I here? Okay. On, on this bat, on Revelation? John. Okay. So at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears the testimony of Jesus. So here the angel is proclaiming this truth. And John finally just has enough. He finally just has to bow. He has to worship. It reminds me of um, Miyagi with Daniel's son. He's like, don't do that because I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And it would be an easy mistake to just see an angel. And the angel tells you something that is so amazing 
that you just want to worship him? I remember when I was um, 10 years old, I got Sports Illustrated for the first time in my life. Okay, it was one of my Christmas presents. I can't remember. I probably got a snow globe with it. I, who knows? But I got the 52 issues of Sports Illustrated. And I remember just waiting for the postman to arrive. And he came in, and, and, and he was putting it in the mail. And I pushed him out of the way, uh, Sports Illustrated. And I just screamed at the loudest I could. And I hugged. I went after the postman. He's like, that had to have been what John was feeling like. The message was so amazing. He had been anticipating this moment and it just overwhelmed him. But again, we see a truth that there is only one worthy and deserving of our worship. And so we should never, ever, ever worship angels. We should never worship pastors, worship leaders. Um, Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And then we get in to verse 11. And here comes the fun stuff. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Okay, so this isn't the Jesus on the donkey coming into Jerusalem. Going really slow. You know, this isn't that Jesus. Check this Jesus out. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, a king back in those days always entered a city on a white horse that represented victory, triumph. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. So it's now starting to give us a descriptive of Jesus that we saw back in chapter 1. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. His armies of, or the armies of heaven were following him. That's us. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Remember we talked about the winepress a couple weeks ago. On his robe... And on his thigh, he had the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I remember when I was a youth pastor, it was actually, um, this moment actually happened at Cornerstone. I was going through Revelation with uh, the junior high group. And I got to this part, and I was excited because the, the kids love all this, the, the war stuff. And, and so I'm describing Jesus, and this is an awesome Jesus. And I remember this one kid just out in front of everybody. I got to that verse, and he's like, no way. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Jesus had a tattoo. And I'm like, <laughs> I had to read over. I'm like, uh, y- yes, he did. But did you see the sword? Did you see? <laughs> and kids are awesome. Um, and oh, so the tattoo or the <laughs> on his robe and on his thigh was written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Ew. Then I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his armies. And here we go. Are you ready? Here comes the great, big, 
powerful war to end all wars. This is going to be crazy. Watch how long this war lasts. <laughs> but the beast was captured. And with, with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on, on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That, that's the end of the war right there. <laughs> Notice, Jesus didn't even leave any for us. It was just Jesus' sword that, that killed them all. That's it. That's the end of the tribulation. Done. The world's armies amass against the rider, faithful and true. They amass following the false prophet, following the Antichrist, following Satan. And, and, and you see what Jesus does? He's like, tosses them in to hell. Imagine being on those guys' side when that happens. Looking at your neighbor. It's not good. And then you're dead. That concludes the end of the tribulation, the end of that seven years. Chapter 20 begins with a thousand years. Now, the thousand years is the millennium. Okay, so we're going to start walking through a timeline. But before we get to a thousand years, because really the Bible, if you look at this, the Bible spins six verses on the thousand years. It just spent 13 to 14 chapters on seven years. It's going to give us six verses on the thousand year. And it's alluded to just a couple times in the Old Testament. But before we get there, we got to go back to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. So head back there. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are two of probably the most misinterpreted chapters in the entire Bible. And the reason why we've waited this long to go to Matthew 24 and 25, we've alluded to it a little bit, is because it helps to have an understanding of the, the tribulation as spoken through Revelation. And then once you go back and now read Matthew 24, it starts making a little more sense. So let's start looking at this. Now, Jesus had just talked about the destruction of the temple, and so his disciples um, are asking him some questions. And, and Jesus left the temple, verse 1, and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, or as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That is a critical verse. What will be the sign of who's coming? Jesus's and the end of what? The age. Okay, so here Jesus is saying, see that temple? Not one stone will be left on another. Okay, now that actually came true. Okay, when Jerusalem was eventually sacked and destroyed, there was a rumor within the Roman army that the Jews 
had used gold as mortar to hold the temple as it was being built. And so the Roman soldiers literally pried it apart stone by stone. Okay? Most often, you would see ruins like you would see in in Rome and, and in Athens, and you'd see buildings that over time have fallen apart. Here, this building just was pried apart stone by stone. So that piece had already, or eventually came true. But then watch what Jesus said. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquake in vari- earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to the- and be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreaded will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? as if it's good at any time, um, pray that your flight will not take you to a place in winter or in the Sabbath. For there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of earth will mourn, when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great or with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, 
When you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not certainly pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay, so as we go through this this talk that Jesus has given, the famous Mount Olivet Discourse, many people go, oh, this, this must have already happened. But that's not true. Because you might be able to pluck a couple phrases out of there and say, yeah, that looks like that could have already happened. But as far as I know, Jesus has not come yet. Fully visible to all nations. The other misconception is this is going to happen before the rapture. That is also not true. Matthew 24 is talking about the days and times during the Great Tribulation. If you look again at this, and especially if you look on the, the three sets of divine judgments, you will see a lot of those things that were talked about in Matthew 24. The sun blackened, stars falling, earthquakes and famines, wars and violence. All these things, the abomination that causes death, all these things happen in the tribulation. So Jesus is talking about not the end of the age that they are in, not the end of the church age that we are currently in, but he's talking about the end of the age, which is called the tribulation. When he's talking about generation, he's not specifically talking about this literal generation of people that are here. Okay? He is talking about this, this age, which ends at the end of the tribulation. As we continue to go through chapter 24, and we get to chapter 25, which we will skip up to, if you go to chapter 25, go to um, chapter or verse 31. What we are passing because of time, and you'll be able to read these later, are a couple parables. First, we're going to pass at the end of chapter 24. It talks about the day and the hour unknown. And it talks about how two people will be left. This is not a reference to the rapture. This is a reference to what we'll talk about in verse 31. Okay? Chapter 25, the first 13 um, verses um, talk about the parable of the ten virgins. And it, this is a, another example of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at chapter 25, and let's look at verse 31, because this is critical for us to understand. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So again, this is not a reference to the rapture. This is not a reference to something that has already happened. All the nations will be gathered before him. And again, as we look back in 24, there was the reference to all the nations. Okay? The events that happened in AD 70, most of the nations of the world didn't know those events happened. All the nations weren't gathered at that time. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one, from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This parable, the sheep and the goats, is talking about what's going to happen at the very end of the tribulation. Okay? So we have already read at the end of um, Revelation 19 what happens when all the 
the warriors, basically the generals and the armies of the false prophet, the beast, the anti, all rally against Jesus. Those people are wiped out. That passage does not mention what happens to everybody else in the world that was not part of that battle. Okay? What happens to all those who stood strong till the end? Those believers that accepted Jesus. Those who turned to Jesus because of the witness of the 144,000. It also doesn't talk about those unbelieving people who until that, all the way up until that time, still had their hand against Jesus. Here's what happens. Verse 33. We'll read it again. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see the sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do... For one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay, so follow me on a timeline here. Now again, as we go through, and we've told you this every single week, as you go through Revelation and as you go through eschatology or the the end time study, there are a lot of different interpretations of things. Okay? Just like there are a lot of different interpretations of Scripture. There are strong Christians on both sides of the aisle. And that's assuming there's only two sides of the aisle. There's a whole bunch of other sides too. There are strong Christians, Bible-believing theologians, people who have dedicated their life to studying Scripture, people who have a better devotional life than me, people who live a life worthy of the call, that disagree on what happens in the end times. And that's okay. Because there are things that, are, that we can disagree on as Christians that are small things. They're minors. But there are also some major things that as Christians we, we share alike. And we have to believe. Okay? 
Everything we're talking about here are minor things. Whether you believe the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation or in the middle or at the end, whether you believe the millennial time is at the end of the tribulation or we're living in it currently, those are minor things. Again, the major thing is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do do you believe he is Lord? Do you believe that you have fallen short and that you have sinned? Have you repented of that and turned your life over to Jesus? These are major things. The gospel is a major thing. So I just want to, again, um, preface that because what I'm going to tell you is an interpretation of how the end times. What I honestly believe, um, um, also basically me and Lynn cut from the same cloth, um, so he believes the same thing. For those of you who have um, studied theology, this would be a dispensational view of the end times. Okay, but here's, here's where we're at. So we've got the timeline. Okay, we've got creation, we've got um, the flood, and you just move on down. You've got Abraham. Um, once we get to Noah around the flood, we could start coming close to dating. The flood probably happened about um, 2500 B.C., give or take a couple hundred years. Um, Abraham probably happened around 2000 B.C., give or take. Okay, and as we get closer to us, we can get a little closer on these things. Um, Moses would be around 1,500, so I'm just giving you 500 increments. Um, then we got David, Solomon, that whole era is around 1,000 B.C. Then we go up to Daniel um, in the captivity, that's around 500. Okay, and then we get um, to the cross, okay? Then we get to the birth of Jesus, which is somewhere around 4 to 6 B.C. And then we've got the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The, resur- the, the cross and the resurrection happens you can date it anywhere between 29 and 37, most likely somewhere between 30 and 33, okay? And then we have all the way until now. We're now. And then somewhere in hopefully the near future, but we don't know, the rapture will occur, okay? Everybody following me so far? All right. So when the rapture happens, we believe that will usher in the Great Tribulation, okay? The Tribulation is... A period of seven years. For those who've studied um, Bible prophecy, um, Daniel, um, this is the 70th week. Okay, the first 69 have already happened. Then there was a pause because um, Israel rejected the Messiah that ushered in the church age. Once the church is raptured, we are now going to complete what was put on pause. So we go from the 69th week, and now we're going to start the 70th week, which is the seven-year tribulation. Over the last several months, we've walked through the seven-year tribulation. At the very end of the seven-year tribulation, we've got the second coming of Christ. When was the first coming of Christ? Okay. About to celebrate it in a couple weeks. Okay. Second coming of Christ will happen at the end of the tribulation. Okay. Then we have a thousand-year period called the millennium. Six verses that we'll talk about in in a couple minutes. Okay. At the end of the thousand-year period... Um, Satan will be loose for a short time. We will have the final judgment, and then we will be ushered into forever, eternal, with Jesus Christ. When do the judgments happen? Okay, the first judgment, the bema seat judgment, happens as soon as we're raptured at the very beginning of the tribulation. We will stand in front of Jesus, and we will be judged on everything we have done. In the body. Okay? Everything we have done from the moment we accepted Jesus Christ until that point. So everything before you accepted Jesus Christ, don't worry about it. Okay? 
Everything you've done from the moment you accepted Jesus Christ until you were raptured or until you died. Okay? And this type of judgment, as we've talked about before, is not a condemning judgment because we cannot be condemned. Okay? Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're justified. You are free from the penalty of sin once and for all. The Bible says as far as east is from west, which is eternity either side, your sins are washed out. They are no more. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so at this judgment, the Bema Seat judgment, we are judged based on what we did in the body. And this is a rewarding type of judgment, much like you would see in the Olympics as they sit up there and they award um, Russia the high points and U.S. the low points. No, they, they award you based on what you did. So you touch the ice, you're deducted. You do this, you're deducted. Okay, so that's what this judgment is. And this is where you see the reference to the, um, being rewarded the crowns, the crown of life, the crown of this. Okay? At the end of the tribulation, we have this judgment that we just talked about. The separation of the sheep and the goats. Who is at this judgment? People that are in the tribulation. Is the church at this judgment? No. We've been raptured. We're in heaven. We've, gone, we've, we've done the, the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. This separates those basically who are for Jesus or who are against Jesus, okay? Those who are for Jesus are ushered in to the millennium, into eternity. Those who are against Jesus, basically have not turned their life over to Jesus, are ushered into eternal separation, okay? Eternity with Jesus is called heaven. Eternity of separation is called hell, okay? At the very end of the millennium, and we'll get to there in a second, we talk about the great white throne. The great white throne is the judgment that is opposite of the judgment seat of Christ. If you are at this judgment, you're condemned. Only those whose name was not written in the book of life will be at this judgment. You stand condemned already. It's a sentencing judgment. And you will be sentenced into eternity of separation. Okay, everybody followed that. Savers. All right, so let's go, let's go and look at this um, back up to Revelation chapter 20. Now, the reason why I wanted to read chapter 25 is because a lot of people will go and say, well, see, the Bible says if you don't take care of the poor, if you don't feed the sick, if you don't visit people in prison, you won't be saved. And they say that, you are saved based on what you do. You're, based, or you're saved based on works. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, Christians aren't even at this judgment. Okay? This is, be, this is after. Okay? What this is saying is because the seven-year tri- tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy— and it's a judgment on those people who lived in the tribulation. Who is not in the tribulation? Who does not indwell you in the tribulation? The Holy Spirit. Okay? Those who accept Jesus Christ in the tribulation, as the Bible says, need to stand firm till the end. You can lose your salvation in the tribulation. You can be following Jesus for two years and then finally be fed up of being... Hungry, being sick, being mistreated, being persecuted. You can finally, at some point, say, fine. 
I'm going to follow the false. I'm going to follow that guy. I need to eat. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of... And if you do that, you will not be saved. You will be ushered into eternal separation. Only those who stand firm till the end. And since this is the 70th week, the way you are judged is based off of Old Testament standards. In the Old Testament, there was not a time where you can accept God and you were permanently sealed. You could walk away from your faith in the Old Testament. You had to stand strong. You had to walk that path. That comes back into play in the tribulation. We've talked about this before. Israel was sort of put on the bench during the church age. And now they're back in the game. Okay, So everything that we saw in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, testament way of jet that will all come back in the tribulation okay and so now i'm the missions pastor here we do a lot of things this saturday hopefully you guys are all going to come out second saturday we're a church of six thousand. it would be great if we could get a hundred people out on one saturday a month to go serve the community what we do on second saturday is service-based we go out and help those in need we pull weeds we pack medicine, we, play, I mean, we, we visit prisoners, we feed the poor and the hungry, we spend time with those who are alone. All that stuff is great, and that's what we are supposed to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. And as Christians, that's what we will be rewarded on, those things that we did in Christ. But that's not what saves us. That's not what saves us. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's look at the millennium. Revelation chapter 20. And that's why we say on every mission trip we take, whether it's Jamaica, India, um, Kenya, we are going over there, yes, to build build buildings for orphans. We're there to help, to do all these great things. But if we don't tell people about Jesus Christ, it's all pointless. And so we want to make sure everything we do here at Cornerstone is gospel first, and then we will definitely come alongside. And so let's look at the thousand years, because it's pretty cool. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of the abyss to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay, so notice what did he do? What did he do with the other two? Threw him in hell. What did he do with Satan? Bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the end of the thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, finally, here it comes, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. Hallelujah. (laughs) So let's stop there before we get to the great white throne. All right. So the tribulation ends. Jesus separates at the second coming. He separates those who are still alive. Those who are not believers He removes those who are believers. He ushers into the millennium. So here is the question. For a thousand years, who reigns with Christ? Church. The church. Who are we reigning over? All right, so the question often asked is, well, who is, in, who is in the millennium? What does the millennium look like? Well, again, we have six verses. Millennium is going to be basically paradise on earth. There will be no more Satan. He's bound for a thousand years. No more struggle. Jesus will take authority over all the world, and we will reign with him. All those rewards we got at the judgment seat of Christ, those crowns, those are some type of authority, some type of, we don't know, that will come to play in the millennium. So as a church, we will help reign in just an amazing time. The millennium is going to be a sweet time. Okay? Now, we talked about the three types of salvation. Okay? There is a justification salvation. To be justified, this means that you are freed or you are saved from the penalty of your sin. Okay? So when you are justified, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are justified. You are free, saved, once and for all, from the penalty of sin. You cannot pay the price for that sin. Your debt has been taken care of. That's justification. There is sanctification salvation. When we are sanctified, that means we are saved from the power of sin in our lives. Now, this is not a once and for all like justification. Sanctification means that it's a daily thing. That's why um, I often had kids and people come up and say, well, if, if we don't have to pay for the sins, why do we have to ask forgiveness all the time? That's sanctification. We come to Jesus, ask, ask for forgiveness. Get back on the path. Live that life worthy of the call. When we get off the path, we get back on it. When we get off the path, we get back on it. That's being sanctified. 
There are parts in the Bible that when you read it, you go, man, that, that sure sounds like I can lose my salvation. And if you look at the context of that verse, it's talking about sanctification. And yes, you can walk away and you can walk off that path. And before you know it, it's like, where's... And God says, stop, repent, turn around and come back. Go back to where you were at the beginning. Now, the cool thing with Jesus is we don't have to, if we've been years off the path, we don't have to walk back two more years to find Jesus. Jesus will meet you where you're at and you'll forge a new path. Okay? That is grace. Okay? But that's sanctification. So justification, you're, you're saved once and for all from the penalty. Sanctification, you're saved from the power of sin. Then there's the glorification salvation. Glorification means you are, you are saved from the presence of sin once and for all. When we have our glorified bodies, we are glorified. We do not have to deal with sin ever, ever again. So, when we are raptured, is it a spiritual rapture or is it a full body rapture? Full body. Remember the whole clothes and everything else on the ground? When Jesus was resurrected, was that spiritually or was that his full body? full body, okay? And he got his glorified body. When we are raptured, we will have our glorified bodies. That means we are no longer in the presence of sin. So, knowing this, at the end of the millennium, who is Satan going to go after? He cannot go after us. He cannot affect us. Got it. Those who are separate at the end of the tribulation that are ushered into the millennium. Theologians, again, mostly believe that these people, when at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus moves them in and ushers them into eternal life, they will also be saved, but they will not be glorified. Which means they will be able to deal, they will have to deal with Satan at the end. The difference is, they will not have glorified bodies, so they will have the normal body that we have. It just will not deal with the aspects of sin. So it will not deal with death. It will not deal with all those things. And so we go back to, remember how Adam and Methuselah and all, they lived for a long time? These people are going to live for a long time in the millennium because there's most likely going to be no death in the millennium. And so what we start out with, a small group, we don't know how many people Jesus is going to usher in at the end of the tribulation. But that small group, by the end of the thousand years, is going to multiply because they are allowed to have kids. They will be having kids during the millennium. At the end of the millennium, the Bible seems to indicate, it does indicate that Satan can't go after the church. It seems to indicate that he will not be able to go after the tribulational saints because they had a decision point in their life and they chose Jesus. Who are the ones that never had a decision point? The children and the generations that follow. And in order to be fair, it would not be fair for all these generations to be just ushered into eternity. At some point, they had to have the opportunity to reject Jesus. Just like 
way back in the garden, the tree was put there because mankind, in order to have free will, in order for that um, relationship to happen, had to have the opportunity to reject. And of course we did. The children of the millennium will have the opportunity to reject Jesus. And according to what we read, Satan will convince millions to do so. Millions to do so. At the end of the millennium, Satan's judged. Those who are apart from Jesus are, are also ushered into hell, which we'll talk about next week. And from that point on, after the great white throne, we have heaven forever and ever. The old earth, which we'll talk about, the old heaven, will pass away and the new will come. Now again, the millennium is going to be a cool place to live. And I know some of you, probably most of the guys, have thought this thought. So you mean, if I get raptured, sex stops. However, if I can make it through the tribulation, trust me, even though I have no clue, the Bible seems to indicate that heaven is better than sex. It's better than anything you can imagine. And there's no reason to avoid turning your life over to Jesus. There's those who have a relationship with Jesus forever and ever. It's the most unbelievable, mind-boggling feeling that any human can have. We'll talk next week about some of the indications. But again, heaven really isn't talked about that much in the Bible either. And I think there's a reason. You think John is having an issue dealing with what he's seeing? Try explaining heaven to us. It's different than what Hollywood has done. There is no way to describe it. There is no way to describe it. And so why try? Okay? So, let's look at the final judgment here. And then we'll get into questions. Verse 11, then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what um, they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Next week we will talk about what the lake of fire is. And is that different than Hades? And, and what was paradise? And what is heaven? And Abraham's bosom? That's weird. What, what is all that stuff? And who is where now? Who is going to be? So we'll walk through all that type of stuff about heaven. So all we know right now is we're done with the tribulation. We have now carried a thousand years. Again, we couldn't really get too much into the thousand years because there's six verses. And it really doesn't talk about it. Okay, there are other viewpoints. And that's cool. Study, study other viewpoints. Um, there are other viewpoints that say we are currently living in the millennium. Again, it, it wouldn't seem to, the Bible wouldn't seem to indicate that, but there are viewpoints that the kingdom has already been ushered in. And as soon as we can get this world straight, then the second coming will happen. 
it's up to us, okay? It is up to us. And once, once we all realize that what we're doing is wrong, and then we, so that, that's pretty much, I, I really don't flow with that point of view. It's a nice point of view, um, but I just don't see the world going that way. Now, the other thing is, again, we, we, we tell you all the time, don't, don't read Revelation with a, a newspaper, okay? Don't read Revelation with Fox News or MSNBC or wherever else in between. We're, we live in America, and what we deal with is not what's happening over on the other side of the world, okay? Some people have it way worse. Most people have it way worse. But there are some that are excelling right now. And so what might seem like, man, the end times are right around the corner to us, to some other people, are like, no. So again, we've got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right, so let me go ahead and pray. I'm sorry, I got about five minutes. Again, you can stay um, late. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for who you are. We thank you that you are our God, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is faithful and true. We, We thank you that we who are believers in Jesus at some point in the future will yell out, Hallelujah. We'll be able to worship the one and true God. We'll be able to reign with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us a second chance at eternal life. That you loved us so much That even though we were separated and fallen, you sent your son to pay our debt, to pay our dowry, so we could become the bride. We don't deserve it. But we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that each person in here, myself included, was fearfully and wonderfully made, was knit together in our mother's womb, was loved from the very beginning of time. We thank you that you love us now. We thank you that you have forgiven us. And we thank you that you want us to love you with all our hearts and minds and soul and strength. And you ask us to love our neighbors the same and to live this life worthy of the call. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who do not know you, whether they're in this room or they're in our minds right now. Some live in our, our house. Some live in our street. Some work with us, go to school with us. Heavenly Father, give us the burden to tell people about Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, give us the courage to stand strong. And we give you all the glory. We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Questions. And hold off on questions about heaven and hell because we'll hit that next week. All right. And Oh, and and by the way, I, I do have to, since I was just reminded, I will give credit. Ohio State lost and Michigan. That was great. Michigan State won. Okay. Okay, the Lord came for the sick too, so that's great. All right. <laughs> so. Chris, I have a question about uh, during the millennium when we are here on the earth with Christ, but 
we will be ministering to some of the people that turned their lives over and stood strong during the tribulation. Is that correct? And then they continue to have children and we continue to teach. Apparently, yes. Again, I, I... from my, my belief, yes, we, we will be reigning with Jesus um, throughout the millennium. And that, so we would be reigning over, and whatever the crowns mean, whether it, it means we have additional authority or dip, whatever that means, um, we will be reigning with Christ. So all, all we know for sure is we'll be reigning with Christ. We assume that we will be reigning over those people in the tribulation that, that come out of it. Because there's really no one else to reign over. We can't reign over ourselves. So and bad. how come uh, Satan gets so many doggone chances? I mean, lock him up a thousand years, going to let him out for a brief... So- I mean, I don't even give my kid that many chances. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's not an example of divine bad parenting. What, what it is, is... And we, we think the reason why Satan's allowed... Because it really doesn't make sense for any other reason, but that... Those people that come out of the tribulation do not have their glorified bodies yet and are still able to have kids. That is the only thing that makes sense for Satan to be able to deceive because he can't deceive us. Okay? He can't, we, we cannot fall. Okay? So there has to be a group of people that have not had a chance to make that decision. And so that's, those are the people he goes after, in my opinion. Going back to Matthew um, 24, and in, I think it's, uh, if I can see here, and if those days, it's verse 22, had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Is it my understanding that the elect are the tribulation saints? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's a tribulation saints. It's the it's the the nation of Israel, the hundred forty four thousand that turn turn their life over to Christ is is who I believe that's referring to, and it it, it seems to definitely be referring um, to the tribulation because nothing that it describes has ever happened um, before. So. Okay. My next question is, when the Lord returns and the millennium begins. It seems like there's going to be a huge mess to clean up. Is that something that perhaps will be some of our job, is clean up? Um, to be honest, I've never been asked that question, and that's a great question. Yeah, it would, it would assume that there's some, some messed up things on the earth, and our sun's gone, and we don't have any stars. There, there, there's some, there's some issue, issues on earth. I don't know what our role's going to be, um, who's going to clean that up, I'm assuming... God will, will deal with it much like he did. And remember, it, it, there is a reference, as in the days of Noah, okay, there, um, there was a huge cleanup that happened there, and it was divine in that, in that condition. So uh, I would assume God will, will figure that piece out. Um, I, I, I would hope. Um, it's <laughs> I would hope it's not us. Um, hopefully the birds take care of everything. I don't know um, what's going to happen there. But, yeah, that's, that is a definite, that's a cool insight.
Uh, in Matthew 25, 46, uh, where he describes, uh, describes about the sheep and the goats, it says, uh-huh. uh, at the end it says, they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Uh-huh. And you said that that was in the, at the end of the tribulation. Mm-hmm. So those reigning over are going to reign over who if everybody is going to be headed to eternal life? Okay, um, good question. Well, first of all, everybody has eternal life. Everybody has eternal life. There's just a matter where you spend it. You're either with God for eternity, which is heaven, or you're separated from God, which is hell. Okay? So those people that are ushered into eternal life, um, I believe, are the tribulational saints um, who, will be, who will head into eternal life. Satan will not be able to go after them, but he will be able to go after their children. Being that none of their children are there yet, those who go through will be ushered into eternal life. So all those tribulational saints will not be, they, they will be sealed. They just won't have their glorified bodies. So they will be able to go into eternal life. They will not be able to be taken by Satan or deceived, if that makes sense. Correct. Because, yeah, correct. Because they will not be sealed and, and they will also not have their glorified bodies. Now, for a thousand years, they're not going to have to deal with temptation or any of that kind of stuff. Ding-dongs won't be fattening, whatever. It's For a thousand years, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and again, I'm a huge fan that Hostess is back in play, um, as you can see. Um, but um, um, for a thousand years, it's going to be um, paradise on earth. And a lot of those images where you see um, the lion laying down, with the, that's all going to be during the millennium. Okay, And then at the end, Satan will bring about that choice. It, uh, for a short time. It, do, it doesn't give um, the amount. It's not going to be one of those where all of a sudden he's going to be establishing a world government or anything. I, I would think it, it would be short, um, but I, I don't know how long that would be. But it, it, So it's short. How, how long short is. Anything else? And again, as you can see, Kaboom is ending. So if you have questions you want to stay, I'll, I'll, I'll stay for a couple more, more questions. If not, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much again. Hope to see you next week. Um, bring a friend. Um, heaven and hell. So it, it'll, be, it'll be great. And then we'll have Chris's. And the mine will be starting back up January 7th. And next week we'll tell you what it's all going to be about. But it's going to be pretty amazing. All right. Sweet. Bye-bye.